Hey dog people of the internet, welcome to Cog Dog Radio, a podcast all about dog sports, behavior, and training. I'm your host, Sarah Stremming of the Cognitive Canine, and I can't wait to share my behavior cases, training revelations, and general geekery with you. Let's get started. Today I've got a conversation with Michelle Stern of Pooch Parenting. Michelle is a CPDT, she's a dog behavior consultant, she's a licensed family dog mediator, and she's been in education for 16 years. She operates Pooch Parenting, which helps not only pet parents, but also other professional trainers to navigate the entire space that is the interactions between dogs and children. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast. Will you share your name and pronouns? Yes, my name is Michelle Stern, and my pronouns are she, her, and hers. Awesome. So today we're talking, well, I'm going to open with Michelle, you are who I like to refer to when I get an email that has anything to do with dogs and children. (laughs) And so would you explain a little bit about what you do and why that is? Absolutely. First of all, I just want to say thank you, because I remember the first client that came to me saying that she came from your recommendation I was just so excited because I I really, really respect you. And I listened to your podcast on countless dog walks. And so it just felt like such an honor that you felt that your people would be in good hands with me. So thank you. I am in a very unique niche in the dog world in that I specialize in helping parents or expecting parents who have dogs or who are considering getting dogs. And so a lot of my work Um, is sort of centered in the idea of help. I feel guilty. Things feel out of control. I just don't know how to manage my day, my life. You know, I don't know where to put my energy. I wish I had six extra arms and eyes on the back of my head. And how do I keep everybody safe? I also get a lot of, oh my gosh, my dog growled at my child. What do I do? Does my dog have to be euthanized, et cetera? You know, there's a lot mm-hmm. of like big SOS red flag types of calls that I get. Um, and then bless their heart, I get a lot of calls from people who are just incredibly sad thinking, you know what? I don't think my dog is very happy in my house because my toddlers are wild or my kids are wild or I have a child on the spectrum who stims and makes loud noises and my dog is noise sensitive and I don't know what to do. Help me, you know? And so I was a teacher for 16 years and I'm a mom of two kids, one of whom not super on the neurotypical scale. And, um, and so I just have so much compassion for parents. And I think that's what puts me in a unique position to be able to help people is that I really love the human end of the leash as well as the dog end of the leash. And I can help families cope with literally daily challenges that some other dog professionals don't even know about. Yeah, that would be me. That would be me not knowing <laughs> about a lot of those things. And truthfully, in dog sports, which I don't only work within the dog sport world, but I do really kind of live in that world and inhabit that world because that's where I've been with my dogs for a very long time. And you kind of have largely a population of people whose kids are grown up or grown up enough that they are not hanging around at dog shows. And then you've got, I think, a bigger than normal population of people who are child-free by choice. And then you do have these folks who 
do have kids or choose to have kids or have young children who are also involved in dog sports. And I think that they often feel like the ostracized minority. And I've heard that from my friends who do have young kids who do dog sports. And so the big topic that I want to talk to you about, because I know that people can have kids and dogs in the same house successfully. Can people have kids and sport dogs in the same house successfully? And kind of what does that look like? That is the million dollar question, because at the end of the day, I'm going to borrow an analogy from Mike Shikashio, where he talks about whether your dog is more of a Ferrari or your dog is more of a Toyota, right? Mm -hmm. And I like to think of sports dogs as sort of the Ferrari types where they go fast and they um, have a lot of energy and enthusiasm around everything about them, you know, and you know, whereas a, sometimes a good family dog tends to be more the Toyota or something else Absolutely. that's just sort of a more generic type of DOG, right? But yes, I mean, I think the short answer is yes, they can live together in harmony, but I'm going to say there needs to be the big fat all caps if, right? IF in all caps that yes, they can live in harmony if the parents have the bandwidth and the willingness to take proactive steps to make sure that everybody can stay safe. Now, I am not a dog sports person, so please forgive me. I know all of you listeners are going to think, oh, no, but um, <laughs> we've we've just started Barn Hunt with my Border Terrier, and he completely lost his mind. So we need to figure that out in a way You're that's like, not just- I tapped into the Ferrari um, in my Toyota oh, Terrier. <laughs> my God. He got so excited that- he grabbed onto the tube that holds yeah. the rat, but then his jaw got stuck because he, oh he like got a tube. It's a, well, and he's a border terrier and mm -hmm. he got, he was so excited and he likes to pick it up and show us what he found. And he just cries. He holds it and just cries his head off <laughs> and he's so excited, but his little tooth, his bottom tooth got stuck in one of the air holes. And we, thank God the teacher was willing. I sort of held Pippin still and she sort of pried it out. And then I thought, oh my gosh, I actually need to talk to some dog sports people about arousal and redirecting that arousal actually. Mm -hmm. So I ordered some more Webbas because that's his favorite toy. And I'm going to try a little swap out of, wow, you found the rat. Let's play with your favorite toy mm -hmm. and see if that can prevent the hooking the jaw and getting stuck. And we then like Michelle feeling that. like the worst yeah. dog owner in the universe. I thought I was doing a good thing, but this is a really good example. I mean, this is a real life example that I might not have predicted with this dog because he's not you know, we don't do competitive sports, but the way that he turned on is a way that I see a lot of dog sports, a lot of dogs who do dog sports turn on, which is to say that they just get so excited and so passionate about the thing that they're doing. Yeah. And the question is, can we develop a really nice off switch in the home around the children and depending on the children's ages, of course. So toddlers and babies are the biggest concern just because literally they're the most vulnerable. Um, toddlers get knocked down all the time. Babies get run over all the time. Those are sort of common issues that, that we see. Um, but sometimes, you know, this takes bandwidth from the perspective of the parenting where you have to think, okay, how am I going to set up my environment? I mean, it's just like probably how you protect your dogs from over being over aroused to towards other dogs or whatever at an event where, all right, I'm going to need some barriers. I might need to put a sheet over the barrier. I need to reduce arousal and those sorts of things, but being proactive can really help set you up 
for harmony. So with sports dogs, exercise is obviously a big issue because these dogs are really healthy and active dogs. a lot of exercise, yeah. They really do. But and this is something that you've talked about before that it is a risk to have such a fit dog because it can be difficult. You end up with a super athlete who has tons of stamina. And so it can be hard to get these dogs to relax a little bit. And arguably if they're doing sports, I want them that fit. So now I have, like, I want them to have incredible stamina. Whereas like in a pet home, I may not want them to have all of that stamina. I want them to in my sport dogs. So like, here I am dealing with it, right? Yep, exactly. And that can be a source of conflict in the home because you may have two you're essentially raising two creatures, so to speak, that have totally different needs in terms of where you put your time and energy. And then of course, as dog parents and as human parents, we have more than enough guilt to go around because we're always thinking about how we're, you know, how we could do better and how we wish we were serving our dog or our child in a a better or different way um, and meeting everyone's needs. And it can be very difficult to meet everyone's needs simultaneously when you have kids and dogs in the same house. Yeah. And I think that's true of any dog, but sport dogs, for sure, they're just higher needs, generally speaking, the dogs that we seek out for sports. And I think I want to qualify this because I get in trouble sometimes because people say, well, my sport dog is perfect in the house and blah, blah, blah. And I, and I'm like, congratulations. I'm really happy for you. Also the dogs that we generally speaking select for sport are zero to 60 arousal point. Like they just, like you said, like Mike says, the Ferrari, they go from dead asleep to 100% ready to sprint, run, do whatever in no time flat versus like your sweet 14 year old dog that's laying behind you right now, like would take a while to wake up. (laughs) Oh, that's for sure. Wake her up. Right. And even your little border terrier would also need a little convincing. Obviously if there was a rat in the tube, sure. (laughs) But I'm telling you that if I closed my laptop right now, I'd have three border collies jump up ready to do whatever. And that's who they are. That's who they Mm -hmm. are. I like to say that's who they are as a person. And (laughs) so having that sort of personality, that temperament that I do want on the sport field and teaching them to shelf it in the home is kind of what you're talking about. And I talk about it all the time in other behavior problem situations like yeah if we are a super high arousal temperament we are also going to be not super great at laying down at your feet at the brewery when the cyclist team goes by we might not be great at walking down the streets of suburbia as there are cars and there are running children and there are basketballs flying like whatever like We like them to care a lot about stuff because if they don't care a lot about stuff, they don't care a lot about the sport and we want them to care a lot about the sport. And then we want them to care not a lot about a screaming toddler in our house. It is a big, big ask of these guys. It's a huge, it's absolutely a huge ask. And the thing that's so interesting about children and probably why I have a job in this field is that children are so unpredictable. Right. Mm -hmm. There are certain predictable aspects of child raising. So, for example, there are developmental stages 
that children tend to go through that are somewhat predictable, the same way that we would say with puppies from neonates through adolescence, et cetera, right? There are certain things that are somewhat predictable. There are even fear periods in children like there are in dogs. But what can be so hard is that at every phase, they love to throw you for a loop. You know, sometimes they move their bodies in unexpected ways. They fall down a lot. They scream a lot, et cetera, which can be very arousing for dogs who are sensitive, who might be a light sleeper and they pop up thinking it's time to get up and go because the child starts zooming around the house, right? Mm -hmm. Kids get zoomies just like dogs do. Mm -hmm. And so then we want to add to the mix, the normal and I say normal in air quotes, but right, like the normal parts of growing up as a child that include things like playdates or birthday parties or other after school events or things like that. And a lot of families want to host those. And so then the question is, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with the dog during those kinds of events? Right. Because do I do I put the dog in, in the crate? Do I put the dog in a pen or in a kennel? Or do I send them off to daycare for the day because my house is going to be full of lots of sheep running around in unpredictable directions? And that poor dog is going to be put through so much stress not knowing yeah. who to corral where, right? That's not only that this is not safe for the children. It is also that for a lot of these dogs, that kind of chaos is really stressful, really yes. aversive. And we're so kind to them to actually put them somewhere else. And I think then you come up with what you were kind of talking about earlier, that you have these competing motivations for this parent mm -hmm. who feels bad isolating this dog, also would feel bad not having the birthday party for their child. Right. Exactly. And now they're probably coming to you from such a place of guilt. Mm-hmm in both ways. Like they're guilty right. about the dog. They're guilty about the kid. They feel like they're both suffering. So yeah. Objections are very common with our clients. And one of the objections that I get a lot when I give some management strategies to a family is, well, I didn't get a dog to isolate it, or I didn't get a dog to separate it from my family. Yeah. So I'm going to give you an example. I was talking to a man. He's a single father. He has a two-year-old daughter. And he adopted, sight unseen, a German Shepherd mix from Mexico. And you can see where this is going. Um, this is a great start. So the guy calls me because he wanted to let me know that he was a little bit concerned because the dog was putting its mouth on his daughter. And I was like, okay the dog's putting its mouth on his daughter. That can mean any number of things. Until then, he told me that the dog was putting his mouth on the daughter's neck. And I was like, oh, okay. This is a whole different level of potential danger, right? And we talk a lot. I talk a lot about risk assessment and how we have to really, how we have to really be honest and, and look at the potential dangers if this should go south for some reason, the dog is not trying, the dog was not trying to, to hurt the child, but the fact that the dog's instinct was to put the mouth on such a vital part of the body um, made me really nervous. And when I told him that he was going to have to set up some baby gates and some pens and manage the situation, he stopped calling me back because he said to me, he's like, I got this dog to be part of our family. And then it turns out, I found out through the grapevine that this same dog 
could scale the eight foot fence in the backyard, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So, so this is, this is tricky, right? So we're dealing with these, again, it's just this horrible source of, of conflict where we think that we want to be raising this dog and this child together at the same time, but our number one responsibility is sort of split, but our number one responsibility is keeping our child safe. And the number one tied responsibility is to prevent our dog from doing something that could cost the dog its life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because that would be an avoidable issue 99.999% mm-hmm. of the time. But a lot of people are wearing rose colored glasses and their strategy. That's what, is, I, that's what I'm feeling when I'm listening to you tell this story. Oh. Is that, and I hear it all the time that people are not as concerned as I think they should be a lot of the time with dogs and kids. And I kind of get, I get a reputation for being overly cautious dogs and children. I am overly cautious with dogs and children. It makes me feel better that you are too. I am. In my opinion, this is not worth the risk. Like I, I am overly, Mm. overly cautious with dogs and children. Not not, the risk. Yeah. And so I'm big on tons and tons of management. Anytime dogs and kids are together because right. Like, especially if there's true risk that you're very aware of. Yeah. Lots of barriers, lots of situations like that. And I do find that you get kind of two kinds of people. You get people who are already utilizing management in smart ways in their household. And so when you make some suggestions regarding some more smart management and you relieve their guilt about the management, they're like, oh my God, thank you. And then you get people like this man that was your client for a moment who (laughs) apparently doesn't want any management at all. And I, it's, it's frustrating then because I think that there isn't a world in which you have dogs in the home and you have a baby and you don't use management throughout this child's life until the child is old enough to be more predictable and act in certain ways. And also, you know, follow instruction really easily. Like my niece is seven and she's really easy around the Uh dogs. Right. It's really easy because you can speak to her and she responds. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and she's old enough. That wasn't a Mm -hmm. possibility. And there's a lot of management going on. She's old enough to follow multi-step directions and to process what you're saying and to see potential consequences. Right. I mean, she's still working on it. Is that children grow? Yeah. (laughs) Good news that children grow. Great news. And in a lot of households, that's what you need. You got to manage while the kid grows. Well, yeah. So there are a couple of things here that are really interesting that I want to piggyback on what you said. Mm-hmm. Number one is that the families like me, my old lady dog, Barley is very dog selective. And when I brought Pippin home, you know, Barley is a 70 pound dog and Pippin is a border terrier. And when he was a puppy and came home, he was five pounds. So huge size differential there. Plus Barley had a history of doing some inappropriate things, which kind of brought me to where I am today. However, what that meant was I had management up the wazoo, right? So a lot of families, and I know you know this, have management in place because they need to keep harmony in their household with multiple dogs. So any multiple dog household, especially anybody that's experienced anything, you know, inappropriate or maybe appropriate, but really uncomfortable with mm-hmm. intra-household dog aggression, um, management is second nature to us. And we love 
we love multiple options and rotating things around and giving someone a chance to be free while someone else has a break, et cetera. But we think of it in an entirely different way, right? So the way that I think of management sometimes is I need to give Barley a break so she has peaceful rest. Where my that potential client that I had, he might take that exact same scenario and flip it on its head and look at it in a different way, which is, you're telling me to ostracize my dog. You're telling me to send my dog away, right? So I'm seeing it as a gift and a blessing, right? Michelle's doing this mitzvah. She's giving Barley a break and some peaceful rest for the afternoon while Pippin's being a puppy. That's a gift. The same exact scenario would be true with the same sentiments. He's got a toddler. Maybe they're going to do a baking project in the kitchen. There's going to be ingredients all over the place. The dog would get underfoot, maybe would eat something inappropriate, knock somebody down, be in the way. It could be a dangerous interaction. Let's give the dog a rest so I can focus on my child right now. And then maybe when the baby's taking a nap, I can have some really fun active time with a flirt pole or something else with my dog. So I'm really, it's almost like a divide and conquer type of situation. And I think that how we look at things through which lens we see the scenario, I'm a glass half full kind of girl. I mean, that's just who I am. And I do not wear rose colored glasses. And I think that so many people just hope for the best, or they think too highly of their dog. And I hope I don't make enemies here because I know that the people who listen to your podcast love their dogs and they should, but every dog can bite even the best dogs. I mean, even the very best dog can bite. No one, right. No one thinks better of their dogs than I do. I think that they are like solid gold and the most incredible things on earth. In particular, my dog Felix, who is like, I am not joking when I say is the love of my life and I love him. It is ridiculous. We disgust everyone around us. And he is not permitted to be around my seven-year-old niece unless he is in a basket muzzle and we are also outside. So he has Uh plenty of space from her. Uh That's not because he's ever tried to bite anyone. That's because I know him really well. Right. And that's it. That's because I think so highly of him that I'm going to do him this favor and show Mm -hmm. him this respect. Yep. Well, this is the mindset issue that that I think is so important to talk about is where are we coming from and what is it that we believe? What is it that we wish we believed? What is it that we can hang our hat on? Because at the end of the day, I feel like half of the work that I do is helping people to shift their expectations for how they can feel and the things that they should be watching for in their home, because there's so much that doesn't even get noticed. And so body language is a great example where, you know, those of us who are dog savvy love body language. I mean, it's like crack to us and we watch every little thing. And, you know, I, I get so excited when I watch Pippin go still and lift up one foot and I'm thinking, oh, what did he find? And what's he excited about, right? He just goes still and really goes into this trance, right? And it's so exciting to try to take all those little things down and dissect them. But there are people that don't understand that their dog is going to respond in certain ways to their children, some of which are positive, some of which are not positive, and that The dog licking your child, for example, doesn't necessarily mean your dog is giving your kid kisses and it doesn't necessarily mean that your dog loves your child. And social media is one of the number one causes of the gray hairs that are growing on my head because (laughs) 
if people love to send me reels on Instagram and Facebook, which I actually really like because now I am starting to dissect them and talk about why certain things are not a good idea, but not in a shaming way, but in a, hey, let's try this instead. Or, hey, did you notice that the dog flicked its tongue or the dog looked away or the child was pushing a noisy toy and the dog had this reaction that shows discomfort, right? People don't even notice those kinds of things because it's never been something that they thought would be useful to them in any way, or it's just something they've just lived with. And you know how stuff is like background noise. Mm -hmm. And so subtle little things like that can literally make the difference between feeling like we're saving our dog from being forced to put up with a difficult situation and offering them relief and saying, Hey buddy, you know what? There's a lot going on in here. Let me give you a break in a different room. Right. Because that's a lot of parenting is like, we never know what's going to happen. And so if we can have contingencies and contingencies for the contingencies of like, okay, plan A, oop, that didn't work. Plan B, oop, that didn't work. You know, so I literally have a menu. It sounds ridiculous, but I made it look like a restaurant menu where it's like, if your child is doing these things, here are things your dog could be doing. If your dog is doing these things, here are things your child could be doing, right? They're different. And if you're a tired, overwhelmed parent, as pretty much every parent is, is, let's be honest, right? (laughs) Then, Then how nice is it for you to just pull up a menu and be like, okay, if this, then this. And then I don't have to think and make a decision because I don't really know what the best thing is. Right. So I've tried to cultivate that for them. And just, I just want to make their life as easy as possible. So, sort of a point at the menu type of thing can give you an answer. It was sort of just a a simple coping strategy. You know, with my teacher self, I'm like, how do I make people's lives easier and make dogs and children safer living together? This is the goal. No, I love it. I, the menu is a fantastic idea. And it is, even just living with multiple dogs in a house who can't all be together at once, it feels really similar to this in the sense that, you know, one of my special areas of expertise is intra-household aggression between dogs and managing households like that and helping those households be more harmonious. And it's like this in the sense that everybody's really concerned about what this dog gets to do while this dog has to do a thing and they might, they're going to have guilt about somebody somewhere. But I like this menu idea as far as, you know, if this dog is doing this, then this dog could be doing this and it doesn't necessarily have to be you're crated or you're not. And with the, with kids, it sounds like it's like that. And hopefully not as, hopefully not as high stakes. I'm sure that you do work in scenarios where the stakes are, extremely high. I, (laughs) even when it's two dogs, we usually do talk about the potential for rehoming if the stakes are extremely high. So I'm sure that that's something that comes across your. Oh, so much. It's really sad. I mean, I, I feel like lately, like half of my consults are with one or both of us crying and talking about whether or not the dog should be living somewhere else, you know? And it's, it's not necessarily because like, death is on the line or anything. I mean, I don't want it to seem like, you know, it's that Mm -hmm. extreme, but a lot of the time it's even like, like I had a client yesterday and the question was, I am raising a five-year-old and two-year-old boy, boys, two boys, five Mm -hmm. and two. 
both just off the charts, like energetic and stuff. They're both at home full-time with their mom. And she is just exhausted, just parenting those dogs. She also has a 10-year-old German Shepherd and just adopted a four-month-old <laughs> puppy who's huge. And she just, you know, she was pulling her hair out. And the question was, I think I bit off more than I can chew. How do I know? So speaking of biting off more than you can chew... <laughs> A lot of people in dog sports get what I call an upgrade dog from their first dog, usually, that they play sports with. So sometimes that's the same breed, but a different style of that breed. Like maybe you have a golden retriever that you then get a field type sportier golden retriever. Or sometimes people ruin their lives and get border collies when they have <laughs> something wrong. <laughs> so... What kinds of proactive choices can folks make if they've already got kids and they want to do that upgrade? Like, how can we help them not bite off more than they can chew? Can we help them understand how much they're biting off? <laughs> yeah, well, that's a good question. I think that you and I would be the dream team for a consult ahead of time for that type of right. person, right? Because I think that the first step is for somebody to understand what it's going to be like to live with that kind of a dog, a dog of that caliber, right? So just, just dogs alone, right? Then if we want to add the child piece into it, right, we need to think about, okay, what are you willing to do? Are you willing to use management and strategies? Um, if you already have children, how old are your children, right? Now, if you're thinking about upgrading to a sportier model um, and your kids are under the age of five, I would probably discourage you from doing say, that. Tap the brakes. Do not. I would. <laughs> I would exactly. I would say, you know, so do I, not I pass go. And mm -hmm. I'm not saying not to do it ever at Me all. Too, but yeah. But just like you're talking about with your niece being seven years old, she's like totally a civilized little person and she can follow directions. She can get involved. She can do all kinds of things that are helpful, you know, whether you want to put helpful in quotes or not, because sometimes things were just jobs to, to get them busy around the dog. Right. Because again, so much of this is trying to build good relationships between the dog and the child. Even if the child isn't the one doing the sports with the dog, we still want them to love each other and be civilized around each other, right? So older kids, though, are capable of so much, but also capable a little bit of following directions. Now, the prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed until much older. So we have to be careful with, again, I'm going to go back to expectations. What can we expect of them? At what point are we being negligent to just assume they'll make good choices? So for example, if they often bring kids home unannounced after school on a play date, how will that dog react to that person? Is that dog comfortable with new people, with every gender, every shape, every size, every potential disability, any of those things? Is that dog comfortable with all of that stuff? That's just normal basic dog socialization types of things. But not everybody, that's not everybody's passion the way that like, I love that stuff. That's super fun for me. And when you have children in your life, I think it's even more important that your dog is well socialized to a variety of stimuli from the environment, because you never know what they might encounter, right? You literally never know like weird little hoverboards or 
skateboards yeah. or balloons that Lots pop. Of weird stuff that you wouldn't necessarily it's a lot of a lot of weird stuff and even if it's not your kids weird stuff it could be their friends weird stuff that they pull some wacky thing out of their backpack that we don't expect so i think some of that is is literally just like okay what's this going to be like and is this child going to be able to sort of keep somewhat of a predictable routine in the house because that kind of a dog is going to do really well with a good strong routine with expected outcomes of certain things. Yeah. And one thing that I want to make sure to say is that when you're talking about the importance of socialization and that being a really proactive choice that we can make, that's a hundred percent true. And also those sportier models that care a lot about stuff, their ease of socialization is lower. Mm -hmm. And so you won't be as successful as you think you can be a lot of the time with those dogs. So there are certainly types of dogs that we have selected for them to be high, high ease of socialization. I'm thinking service dog colonies in particular are pretty unflappable, designed to be pretty unflappable. If they're not, they are the outlier in the colony versus I just, I'm going to keep picking up border collies because I can. So easy. And <laughs> so easy to do. Versus your border collie needs to come out of the womb believing that the tractor will eat them because if they don't, they'll die. Mm -hmm. And so they're designed to care a lot. They're designed not to trust anything new. And your socialization efforts will not be by the book the way that you think they ought to be. And if you've never lived with kind of a different type of dog like that, a sp I'll just keep saying sportier dog or higher caliber dog, that may be new to you and that may be different. And so expect that you can't actually prepare them. You won't actually be able to prepare them for everything and their temperament. And because that's true about everybody, every dog, you can't actually prepare them for everything that they will face, which is when leaning on their temperament, relying on their temperament is really important. And if you are buying a dog that is designed for sports, they may not have that baseline temperament that's going to take care of you in those situations. And that may simply just be the, the truth and the case. And again, I do get in trouble for saying this because people think their dogs are perfect. I think that they have rose-colored glasses on <laughs> the way that you talk about. And I will also say, if you've had nothing but 40 types of dogs for a long time, you don't know what a normal dog is like anymore. And so your baseline may also be a little bit skewed. So if you are thinking about upgrading, you can be proactive. You can think about, like you said, so some of the things you said, socialize for sure. Think about, think about the age of everybody in the household and whether or not this is the right time. Think mm -hmm. about the amount of work this is going to be that you're going to need to put into this puppy versus how much work is your kid right now because they're less work as they start to go to school etc as far as like actual hands-on minutes of the day work yes any Definitely. other kind of proactive choices if people are going to upgrade you know <laughs> I, I would I would it. say that well yeah I would say that also if if you're maybe thinking about growing your family and thinking about having or adopting a child and you are also thinking of upgrading your sports yeah. dog to try to this might sound weird but to try to put yourself in your dog's paws yeah later so yeah. let's say you have that border collie who's incredibly sensitive and has trouble 
with change. How will that dog feel when that dog becomes second fiddle for a little while? And I know that you think the dog would never become second fiddle, but I promise you it does. And it sucks. It It really sucks. It sucks from the guilt perspective. It sucks from your whole identity as a dog person. Um, This is a big deal and it does shift. One of my clients right now makes me so happy. I practically cry every time I see her posts on Facebook. She has six dogs. She is a dog trainer and she is seven months pregnant. And she started with me when she was two months pregnant. And I was so proud of her for being proactive. All of her dogs are unique and interesting. And she has been practicing so much. Every little thing, including carrying a baby doll in a carrier, like a dog, like a car seat, you know, and asking her dogs to do a variety of cues or seeing if her dogs can be calm on the floor while the swing, I mean, you can imagine for a border collie, you have a baby and a swing. <laughs> All of Come on, things. let's think that yeah. through, right? Yeah. So she has been practicing every single thing. I mean, it has been remarkable. Her husband even has been wearing a doll in a baby carrier and trying to work his way through a few of these steps as well, because the dogs respond different differently to him than they do to her for a variety of reasons they're mostly her responsibility etc but to just sort of think through what that might be like with really a reality check like it will be different I want you to pretend that your dog gets half the amount of attention or a quarter of the uh, the attention they currently get because it's not even necessarily by choice that you're giving the dog less attention. You're sleep deprived, you're exhausted, you are now multitasking more than you ever thought humanly possible. It's impossible to imagine that this tiny little human creature can produce so much laundry. You're starving all the time, especially if you're breastfeeding. Like it's just impossible. It feels impossible. And you have this very demanding dog that is wondering what the heck just happened, right? So thinking ahead and envisioning something like that with somebody like me who's going to tell you the truth, you're going to tell them the truth about the sportier version of the dog. And I'm going to tell them the truth about what it's like to live through the day with, you know, delivery drivers and your reactive dog, like losing his mind because Uber Eats keeps bringing you food because you're too tired to make your own food. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, all of it. Like, what's it going to be with the barking and the I mean, the good news is, is that the baby's hearing the dog barking in the womb, which is super, but it's still different in real life. And your response to the dog barking once the baby is out of your body is entirely different than it was when the baby was inside you. Right. And so how we behave influences everyone else around us. And we, we, it's very hard to predict what that's going to look like, but I have enough data just as you do with Mm -hmm. sports dogs that there are trends and there are patterns that I see and I can try to tell people, but they may or may not be ready to believe those things. Yeah. And so what we're saying is that some of the proactive choices you can make, if you actually, maybe you already have a house full of sport dogs and you decide to start growing your family. I definitely know a few people who had three, maybe more sporty dogs and got pregnant and, you know, started having children. And what I'm seeing from the outside is that the folks that are kind of the most successful have a lot of help. And so you're the proactive choices you can make up front. If you've already got this household of dogs, dog sports are your thing. The dogs are not going anywhere is who's my team. I think. Yes. 
Like Absolutely. you not, you can't do this all by yourself. Like let yes. that, let that thousand percent. Yeah. Yes, my Absolutely. team. Even just, I've never had a child, but I've certainly been through medical crises in which I needed a team to take care of these dogs because I couldn't do it, and they're really high needs dogs. Uh-huh. They can't just. They're not the type of dog that I can just put up for a couple months while I get better. They got to be yeah. taken care of the whole time. Absolutely. Yeah. I know it's funny you just said that because I just made a like a template worksheet that I gave to some of my students who are other dog trainers who just want their life to be easier with their kid clients, mm-hmm. their families with kids clients. You know what I'm saying? And it was literally a fill this out. This is your team. Find yeah a local, find two local dog walkers that you trust. Who is your, you know, whatever we had, who did we have on there? We had boarding, we had boarding options that in case, I'm not saying you want to do this, but if you're going to have a baby and God forbid there's a complication, or if you have a C-section, you can't just leave the dog home. Like, Like you're not going to be home tonight after you have your baby this morning. I mean, come on. So where's the dog going to go? So we need plans for those kinds of things. So we had, you know, the boarding facility, the dog walker facility, the potential daycare facility, whatever it is, have this team assembled ahead of time when you have the bandwidth to think about it and plan it and maybe interview people or go visit, you know, I'm uptight. So I would want to visit the facilities (laughs) and, you know, I mean, you and I both, we're going to go and we're going to check and we're going to make sure that appropriately sized dogs are together and that there's resting time built into the day and all of those kinds of things. But again, to give people permission, like you just said, you don't have to do this by yourself. You know, a lot of us feel like we're superheroes sometimes and that we have to do it all. And I think that sets you up for failure because there is nothing more humbling than becoming a parent. And just, it's not just that you don't have to, it's that you can't. So let it go. Like you actually can't. So drop it. Just forget about it. Set up the team. And I would like to point out that pet sitters, obviously you need to discuss this with them ahead of time, but typically you can have a pet sitter come care for your dog in your home the way that you would if you weren't there, if you're there. Yeah, you actually can have somebody come and exercise and play with them and hang out with them and feed them while you're there. So Uh put it on the list as far as, you know, people to have in your team. And, you know, sometimes with these sport dogs, I, maybe you farm them out and they go and they keep training and doing whatever with your other sport friends. And they come back kind of when it's time and when it's time to integrate everybody But knowing for me, the big point to make is that know that the type of dog that you've chosen is not the type of dog people choose for children. And therefore, you got to do everybody a favor here and recognize that this is not going to be a Disney movie of your dog and the kid being best friends necessarily. And what it's going to be is a managed household Mm -hmm. where sometimes there's going to be confinement for the dog and sometimes you're going to need help taking care of everybody. I want to just add, sometimes there's going to be confinement for the kid too, right? Like I am, I am an equal opportunity management person. Pens are one of my favorite things in the universe because you can use them for dogs or you can use them for children. (laughs) And, you know, you, you end up with, you know, parents were upset because the dog broke their, the kid's Lego masterpiece, et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, dude, (laughs) 
put a pen around the Legos. Like, Um. what are you talking about? Like, I mean, I have, I, God, I use pens for everything. If you're trying to learn how to breastfeed your baby, put a pen around the couch so your dog can't knock the boob out of your baby's mouth, right? Like pen yourself into, into something, right? Like, yeah, baby toys can be in a pen. You can put your baby down for tummy time and then you and your dog can play and have a grand old time. Or maybe the pen is where your dog gets the marrow bone and hangs out or whatever it is that you want to give your dog that's so special and know they don't feel like they're in jail. I mean, there's so many different ways that we can- there are, but this is leading me to a proactive thought for everybody because this is something that you don't think about, but you'd be amazed, Michelle. I'm sure that you run into this a ton, but you'd be amazed how often I run into it. Dogs are not actually trained to be confined. Oh, yes. They don't Every know how day. to be. They don't know Every how to day. be in fun. They don't know how to be in another room if you're in the other room. And the number, like, let's be proactive on that upfront. If a baby is coming, let's start introducing the dog to this concept. If he's never been introduced to this concept, expect it to be a process. Yes. It can't just be overnight. And it's, you know, obviously it's my plug for teach them this anyway, because this is a life skill they need. But if you're, if you don't think you could put your dog in an X pen in the, in the living room while you make dinner in the kitchen and have that go. Okay. That's the number one thing we got to fix. Absolutely. And that is literally something you should start the second you see that line on that stick you just peed on, or the second you start to fill out paperwork for an adoption. Like you, we do this early. We do it now because you never know. Well, and, and I adopted one child and had one child, and I know that they're both on wacky timelines, at least the pregnancy timeline. Once you become pregnant, you know, that basically it's 10 ish months when, when it will be in, you know, a baby. <laughs> it's 10 yeah. ish months. And, um, and then somebody has to come out of your body because it just can't stay in there anymore. Right. Um, with adoptions though, you know, if, if you get approved and you go through this horrible, like long process with social workers and get approved for all of that, I mean, somebody could call you tomorrow with some baby, or it could be years of waiting. You just don't know, but I would much rather you start preparing now. I mean, even calm behaviors, for example, I see videos all all the time of dogs who try to jump into the bathtub with the kids, you know, everybody's having a bubble bath and the dog flies into the bathtub and everyone's saying how cute and adorable and amazing it is. And yeah, maybe, I mean, it might be fun and adorable and amazing, but it also might be dangerous and it might be really unsafe. Yeah. (laughs) It might be annoying and distracting and all that stuff. I'm not saying it's guaranteed to be a disaster, but you know, I wouldn't recommend it. So what could we have the dog do instead? Does your dog have a place or a mat or something as simple as that? Do you really think that dogs are going to ignore the delicious smell of dirty diapers? No, they are not going to ignore that. What are we going to have the dog do instead? And so the one really interesting thing about some of these sporty dogs is they have mad skills and their owners have mad training skills. And so it's not a question of capability, but it is a question of thinking to use behaviors you know are ready in different contexts. It's just like when I used to teach basic family dog classes at a shelter I worked at. 
you know, you would see people in class doing their behaviors and it was all perfect inside this big pavilion and everybody's doing super, but then the dogs are pulling them to the car on the way out of class and they're barking at each other and right. And they just completely forget to implement the skills that they learned. Right. And so it's kind of crazy. And so you know, we're talking to really smart people here who have the training chops to get this done. It's just a matter of saying, okay, I need a behavior for when I change diapers. I need a behavior from when I'm feeding the baby. I need to know where the dog is going to go when my messy toddler starts throwing food from the high chair. Does my dog resource guard? Do I have to think about that, right? There's a million different things to think through, but really once you have a plan that is so empowering, it's the most empowering thing. But that's why I always try to get people to start early. I occasionally do get calls saying, I'm being induced next week. And I'm like, oh God, like (laughs) I have heart palpitations. You're being induced next week. Okay, what can we do in a week? Well, here's my shopping list. I want you to go order these pens and these baby gates, and we're going to start there. Order a lot of chews, get bones, get bully sticks, get yak chews, get leaky mats. Get We need all the things to help your dog understand that being behind these barriers is actually a great thing and that good things will happen because that's probably the number one lifesaver and sanity saver that there is, is just having a dog that is comfortable, separate. I'm not saying isolated. I'm just saying separate. Yeah, best if they're not isolated. And I think that a lot of times what I run into in the sport world is that the dog can totally be crated in a room by itself, can totally be crated in the car. It's if you're in the same room with them and you want them behind a barrier that they're really unhappy about it. They don't understand. Wait a minute. You just changed all the rules on me. How come I can't have access to you? you know, and we need to practice everything if we can ahead of time. And also have a look at your household and kind of have a look at what are the times during the day that there's a little too much energy in here. And can I bring it down a notch? And can I, you mentioned the phrase off switch earlier. It's not my favorite phrase. And the reason I don't like it is because people in this, in the breeding world, especially of my breed border collies, but a lot of other herding dogs talk about it as being something that's innate that it's uh, yeah. for. And I yeah. disagree strongly and think uh-huh. that if they can be, I, I think it's just, it's literally all training and it's understanding what the expectations are and setting up the correct expectations. And so if I am sitting down, I just actually did this because I shot a video for a client. If I sit down in a certain chair, everybody comes in and lays down. If I'm in the office and I open Zoom, everybody comes in and lays down because it is con- it's a conditioned situation that nothing good is happening for dogs. You're literally doing nothing until this is over. Mm-hmm. And that's trained. That's That was done proactively. And I didn't expect you know my baby puppy to do it when she was too young to do it. And looking at, you know, other times of day that might be a problem for you, like somebody coming to the door, if you're going to be having a lot of people come to help you with this baby or come visit, etc. That's something to start to teach them that that's not an exciting thing for dogs either. And especially when you have these sporty dogs who like they want to be excited and their favorite thing in the world is to anticipate a thing and be correct about it. <laughs> so, yeah. So. I love I love what you said and I really appreciate you clarifying that because I think you know one of the behaviors that we talk about 
is instead of helping a client sit down at Zoom and therefore the dogs are calm, which obviously mine are not right now, um, is we would anticipate time on the floor with a child. And you can condition the exact same response. And ideally, what I like to see is, you know, baby on the floor, you know, parent on the floor equals dog laying down on the floor on the other side of the parent. So I like to see it sort of as a dog child sandwich with you in the middle, right? Um, So the dog is one slice of bread, you're the filling in the middle and the baby or kid is on the other side. And you can do that for all sorts of things because you are going to be on the floor a lot, whether it's for tummy time where you just have the baby like a little larva on the floor doing nothing, or whether it's, you know, let's do blocks or let's play with toys, or maybe you have a toy kitchen and the child is doing imaginary play, but you need to be present. Just you being in the room is not adequate. And you can build in this behavior that when I'm sitting on the floor, the dog lays down next to me. And that way we can all be together. I'm not saying the dog has to go away Mm -hmm. somewhere else. We can all be together, but this is a moment where the dog has to, you know, be doing a specific thing that we've asked them to do or taught them to do. So what you're saying is the the proactive choices are train, (laughs) train the things. And if you're not sure what to train, that's where you come in. That's what you do is you do know what to train. You do have all these pieces kind of figured out. Plus a lot of empathy because you just don't know how you're going to feel. And I've lived it with an adopted child, a biological child, a dog who just required muzzle training, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? I've been through all those emotions and it's just really refreshing. I think a lot of my clients have just been so grateful that there's someone they can talk to who understands how they feel and their guilt and they wish things were different, or maybe they feel like they hit the jackpot, but that's the rare case because otherwise they wouldn't be calling me. You know, I usually get the other end of the spectrum. So what you're saying is it's not hopeless. <laughs> there not is hopeless. Sport. You can have sport dogs and children if you choose. So that leads me to where do people find you, Michelle? Thank you. My company is called Pooch Parenting and my website is poochparenting.net. I have a page on Facebook and Instagram, both at Pooch Parenting, all one word. And I do also have a podcast called the Pooch Parenting Podcast on all of the places where podcasts tend to be. You're too smart. You named them all the same thing. I got really lucky. Yes, I got it early. I'm an early adopter, I guess. All right, Michelle, thank you so much. I think this will be enlightening for everybody. And I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Sarah. It's an honor to be here. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Please be sure to subscribe and leave me a review. If you'd like to support this podcast, head over to patreon.com slash cogdogradio. You might even hear me answer your question on the show. For more content like the stuff you heard here, check out my online courses at cog-dog-classroom.teachable.com.